Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm talking to MK Williams, a new friend of mine. MK, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. So for the people that don't know you, can you give a little bit of an intro about yourself and what you do? So I am an author and an independent publisher, which means that I write and I self-publish my own books, and then I help other people write and get their books out as well. So my business involves me putting out videos of how-tos, writing books on how-tos, um, writing my own sci-fi fiction books as well. But um, I actually help a lot of people bring their books to life, whether it is fiction, nonfiction, books about personal finance, books about uh, meditation and mindset, um, helping those first-time authors get their book from an idea in their head to on their bookshelf. Awesome. And we're going to I guess, focus on two different areas. One being like starting this, what was a side hustle, it's now your full-time gig. And for mm -hmm. um, the other portion, like how to take a, I guess, skill set or a side hustle and then teach people, which is what you've been able to do. Now, for mm -hmm. people that um, maybe haven't listened to the other episode on my other podcast, Mile High Fi, we talk about financial independence, which is, is sort of a piece of the puzzle here. So we're mm -hmm. not going to go too in depth in that area. So with that preface, um, I want to ask you, did you start your career as a writer, as an author? And, you know, if not, you know, what did you start off as? Yeah. So my corporate career, I worked in customer service, Then I, which meant fielding phone calls from people who were not happy to be making those phone calls. So be nice to your customer service reps. Um, and then I gradually moved into marketing. Um, and with that became project management, email marketing, you know, all kinds of digital marketing-ness, uh, which has served me well um, in my current business. Um, but that was my corporate career and I liked it and it was exciting and it definitely appealed to the analytical side of my brain. Um, but the creative side of my brain was still wanting to write my stories that I was coming up with and, and turn those into longer books and to really challenge myself to try things differently with my writing um, and to really push my craft. So um, for a while, the corporate job was appealing to the, uh, the analytical side of my brain. But then as I built my business, I said, oh no, I have things to do for my business that can appeal to that side of my brain. So why not just um, make, make it a full-time? Okay. And for you know your, your analytical side and you're talking about writing, so did you gravitate maybe like in high school, college timeframe, did you gravitate towards like math and science in some capacity and then writing in another? Uh, I mean- a lot of times people just do one or the other, but it sounds like maybe you have a little bit of both. Yeah. So I, I was your generalist nerd um, through my school years. You know, I loved to read. I loved math. I loved, I loved all, all things school related. Um, I was a big nerd. And so I, I always had this passion or dream of wanting to be an author. Um, but I would always kind of get dinged on all my essays because I didn't have very good grammar. Um, I didn't as that sentence was obviously <laughs> horrible. Um, but that's fine. You can talk the way you talk. But writing is always scrutinized much more for, you know, proper syntax and 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 things like that. And I just felt like, well, I'm not allowed to be a writer then. The powers that be, the, the unknown authority somewhere would say, no, you cannot be a writer because you do not know where this comma goes. And therefore, your dream is crushed. And because I was good at math, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do economics. I'll, I'll go that route. Um, and then, you know, the more books you read, the more you realize 
most authors aren't good at this and their editors are going to catch as much as they can, but there's still typos in some of like the most best-selling books of all time because the human who wrote it and the humans who edited it missed something. Um, and so it was finally um, in 2015, so five years into my corporate career that I was like, I, I can I can do just as good as that. That you know, I can I can give myself permission, and that's why people have editors. That's why people have people proofread things. Um, it doesn't take away from from the story the fact that I can put the story on paper and then have somebody help me make it look more polished. So um, that was kind of the the final permission I needed to give myself to just kind of go for it and give it a try. And I've taken some remedial grammar classes. I kind of swallowed my pride and went on to Coursera and took some English language grammar classes where I was the only person in that class who was from the United States, born and raised here. Everybody else was from another country trying to learn English. And I was like, I was born here and I don't know these rules and I need to. <laughs> um, so I, I've, I've, swallowed a lot of pride and done a lot of self-improvement and I think I think my writing's better for it um, but I still have editors because I'm not perfect right I had the same same issue I, I gravitated towards the math and science area and had a bad experience like year over year with uh, the English classes grammar I, I think mm -hmm. maybe I they always blamed it on the year before they said oh your teachers didn't teach you that and then we would come in they try to tell us how to use commas I'm still I need to take those classes you were telling me about there. So, okay. So you had a, a dream. You thought, hey, I could be an author. Did you write like along the way in, in those years? And, and if so, you know, what was your writing practice like? What kind of things did you write? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been writing all, all along, you know, I was the, the moody poetry person in high school. Um, and in college, I, I would take fiction writing electives just to write, you know, long form narratives. Um, so short stories, almost like novellas. And then for like my free time when I was in the corporate world, like some people in the free time, they join like a kickball league or they do quiz nights with their friends or those things. For me, I was just writing my books. You know, I, I would really get excited and, and I would always try to set myself a goal around it. Otherwise, it's just writing to write. And I would say, this is the story. This is how I want it to end. And I would just kind of chip away at it. And it wasn't until I wrote my third book, which is the first one that's published, that I really said, no, I'm going to write this in a year. I'm going to spend X amount of time, you know, every day or every week working on it. I'm going to self-publish it. Like I had a plan and that helped me actually finish it and, and get it done by the timeline that I set for it. Um, so giving myself goals and kind of letting people around me know that I had those goals really helped. Otherwise, it was just me writing to write and like fiddling around and playing. And eventually you just somehow end up on Facebook and three hours later, you're like, what? I didn't I didn't get anything done. Um, so really setting some goals and challenges for myself has helped. Um, you know, the challenge with nail biters, that was the first book that I self-published. It was the third one that I wrote. But the first two books were kind of like fictionalizing events in my life to try to retell a story. And I think that's the idea a lot of people have of what writers do. If you watch any movie, the like, you know, troubled writers just rewriting their life. That's like, I think everybody goes through that phase in like the first book they write, but like eventually you're like, my life's not that exciting. <laughs> um, so nail biters for me, the challenge was let me write a story start to finish that I have no experience with. And it's about an alien invasion. And so when people ask me like, do you, did you write your life into your stories? I'm like, I ain't never seen an alien. Nope. <laughs> now, do, you, do you believe in aliens? I, th I yeah I think there have to be in there has to be intelligent life out there somewhere in the universe and the multiverse right like the universe is just too big and enormous for there to not be some kind of 
life out there. Will it ever reach us before our sun expands and swallows the earth? Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, I think they're out there. I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. Okay. So you wrote two books, which are never published. So they're on your shelf. You have them as a, like just a yeah. artifact. They're, they're on a hard drive somewhere collecting dust where they belong. Okay. <laughs> How many have you published so far? Um, I have put out five fiction books, three nonfiction books under my name. I'll have at least two more fiction books coming out this year, early 2022, um, and one more fiction book com- or nonfiction book coming out this year. So, Wow. Yeah. So I, I lost count. This is over 10, I think. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And that yeah. is over the course of the last six years. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So that sounds like a really high output. Um, do you <laughs> think it's a high output? Um, I think yes and no. Um, so for the first few years when I was self-publishing and working a full-time job, my goal was one book a year. And so literally my second book came out a year to the day from my first book. And again, that was the challenge of I'm going to do this again in a year. The first book took me three years. So to say, okay, I'm going to do this again in a year, it was kind of ramping it up. Um, And then it was, okay, I want to put on another book in another year. Um, And then I started to help other people with their books. So 2015, I had a book out. 2016, I had a book out. 2017, I had a book out. Nothing in 2018. Um, didn't get anything out under my name until November 2019 because I started to help other people. And so between full-time job, my books, and helping other people with their books, something gave and it was my books. Um, and so I, I had a very low output that year. 2019 was also the first year I went full-time. Um, and so to have only one book under my name come out that year felt really dismal. Like I'm a full-time author now and I just put out one book. Um, but in 2020, I put out three books um, and I'm pacing to put out at least three this year. I've already had one come out this year. So yeah. Amazing. manageable. So in, in those early years when you were working the full-time job, how did you, I guess, take, take that time to be able to write again? I know it, well, I'll just leave it open. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it it was a lot of discipline. So at first, so I, um, one of my hobbies that I, I don't do right now because it's summer in Florida, but I will again when it cools down. Um, I'm a runner. And so my husband likes to run with me. And so we had our weekend habit was we would get up, we would go for a run, we would um, have like a nice protein shake, and then he would crash, he would have a nap. He was like, I'm tired, I did my workout. And so while he did that, I would write. And so however long, you know, he rested for and a little bit extra, you know, the following day, I would get some writing in on the weekends. If I could maybe steal some time here or there during the week, it was very small. But once I decided I wanted to eventually make this a full-time job, I had to get much more, much more disciplined with, um, you know, I'm getting up early every morning and I have 30 minutes every day before between when I get ready for work and when I leave for work. And that is my, I called it my book, my book work time. And most of the time it was writing. Sometimes it was shooting off emails to try and get on podcasts. It was trying to do some of the marketing, some of the work on the cover, like little things here and there just to chip away at it Um, and just getting much more disciplined um, and, and in general, you know, I know you talk a lot about, you know, side hustles and, and, and things like that. But for me, once it, in my mind, I stopped treating it like a hobby and started treating it like a business, um, more work got done. Um, and a lot of that for me came from, you know, when I was treating it like a hobby and I didn't make any money for my book, it was like, well, it's just a hobby. It's okay. I was like shelling, selling myself short because then if I failed, 
which I felt like I was failing. I was like, oh, well, I didn't, I didn't really try. So that's okay if I fail. Um, and so when I really just said, no, I'm, I'm sick of feeling like I'm failing at this thing that I love to do. Um, I treated it more like a business and that gave me more, more time. I, fa- I found the time it was there all along. Um, I found the time to get more done. Okay. And I guess now you're, you're a new mother, right? So how are you balancing it now? Um, I, th- I think the balance is pretty good. I think I've gotten really, um, refined over the years at prioritizing. Um, and so when I had that period where I was a full-time author, um, and I had eight hours every day just to get things done, it, you'd be amazed how much got done at 4 PM because I had all day to do it. And I waited till the end of the day or I'm like, Oh, I can do that tomorrow. I could do that tomorrow. And so these little things, that could be put off, I kept putting off. Um, Whereas now I know I have four hours a day that my daughter sleeps during the day and she sleeps at night. So during those four hours during the day, that's when I have to respond to emails, help my clients, do stuff for my YouTube channel, um, write my books, like all those things have to get done in that four hours. Oh, and I have to eat and probably work out and maybe shower during that time too. So um, my prioritization has become much more efficient because it's, if that isn't going to move the needle forward on this project or this project, it doesn't get done. Um, And so that that's helped in a way where it's having her like so much of my life, becomes more clear when you have a child about what your priorities are for your time, for what you value and things like that. Um, and so it's also helped me to see like, well, what do I value for my business? Because if I don't value it, I shouldn't be wasting this very precious time that I have on it before she wakes up. So, Mm -hmm. okay. And you are clearly good at finishing things. And a lot of people are good at starting things and you Mm -hmm. know what, even if it's 98% done, Mm -hmm that's almost the same as, you know, you, you shouldn't have even wasted the time. So why are you so good at finishing things? <laughs> um, I think a little bit stubborn, um, a lot of bit ambitious. So I think, I don't know, I think it's something in my personality um, where if I'm going to start something, I'm going to see it through. Um, and, and that definitely comes from my stubborn nature. Um, talk to my parents, they'll tell you that's been a problem for a while, but I think it's an asset in this case. Um, And I think I do have a certain amount of ambition in me, right? And I think when I put down a list of my goals for the year and I say, I'm getting out three books this year, like I'll be darned if I don't get three books out this year. But I I usually write that goal knowing what they're going to be, knowing that I've already started the drafts. So, you know, I set realistic goals for myself and that makes it easier to achieve. You know, if I sat down and said, I'm going to write 10 books a year and therefore pretty much every month I need to be turning out a book. Um, and and sometimes there's just too much out of my control like my editors have their own schedule like they could just say sorry like we're we're busy right now we can't get to the back of the line um and so i i set goals that are realistic and i think that helps me to finish things and get them done um you know i i have worked with authors who after 10 years finally finished their first book and i said that's too long and I've worked with authors who said, I heard in 30 days, you can write a bestseller. And I'm like, that's not long enough. That is. So there's, there's a certain balance to it. Um, and, and I also, I just know what works for my process. Um, different things work for different people. And I know what works for my process. Big thanks to Otis Global, that's O-D-Y-S, and they're the source for age domains with strong branding and powerful backlinks. Usually, almost always, 
niche relevant backlinks. So the feature domain for this week is seducingwithstyle.com. It was a fashion, a men's fashion consulting and date coaching site, sort of like, uh, well, it has seduce right there in the name. And I'm going to take a look at the, the old school website here created in 2010. So it's 11 years old. And the site's focus was around men's clothing, as well as dating tips for men seeking to attract women. So, you know, I would say slightly uh, offensive, depending on, you know, <laughs> your your company that you're having a conversation with, of course, but this is a hot niche. All right, dating and seduction, it's a hot niche overall. And this particular site had a domain rating of 15. Uh, currently, it's 15 and it's been as high as 35. The domain authority is 35 and it is obviously very brandable. It's a .com and it has quite a few backlinks overall. And when I do take a look at the the one of the screen grabs in the Wayback Machine back from 2013, it looks, you know, kind of like you would expect with um, like free downloads. It says something about like techniques to approach beautiful women. You could download the free ebook. So, you know, it was a different time back then. It was a different time back then, but I can say this is probably an evergreen niche overall. And I would say you probably could just aim in the same direction as far as monetization for what this site originally was trying to do. I think you can probably earn quite a bit of money from display ads, you know, whatever network that you're going to approach, um, whether it's Ezoic or some other network. And there are, you know, a lot of search terms associated with the uh, sort of dating or I guess there's fashion that you can cover as well. So there's a lot of angles that you can cover. And then I think the big money is referring people to like dating courses or style courses or anything where you can earn an affiliate revenue and there's probably apps and different things that you could um, make money on there too. So when I look and have um, you know a little bit more analysis on the domains and the number of backlinks, while the domain rating of 15 is you know relatively modest, I would say there's 218 referring domains and 156 of those are do follow. So that's pretty substantial overall. And there are links from pretty big sites, feedburner.com, BuzzFeed. And if I, you know, look a little bit deeper, there are some pretty, you know, pretty significant ones. Let's see, blogs.com. I'm not sure if that's anything uh, specific. Cognitive SEO, Wisebread, blogmaverick.com, HipWe, a lot of them that I haven't heard of, but there are quite a few backlinks coming from sites of uh, DR's domain rating over 60. And obviously there's a, there's a lot over 50 as well. So some of those do seem to be associated with some sort of SEO type situation like a keyword or prweb.com. But basically there's, there's quite a few backlinks here. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else super interesting about this particular domain. One of the big things is this one is relatively inexpensive. It's coming in under $1,000. And when you buy something from Otis, 
uh, when you buy one of these domains from Otis, you get a little logo. So they have a logo here for you that looks pretty good. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that. And some of the domains that I feature are very expensive, sometimes over you know, five, $10,000, but this one is under a thousand. And I know I have heard from a few different people who have used expired or aged domains just like this one. You don't necessarily need to have a very high domain rating. And I would say if you started working on this site, you probably can get that domain rating up higher. And after all, that's just a metric to give you an idea what's going on. Um, there are 156 do follow referring domains and you can get $100 in your new Otis account. If you sign up with my affiliate link, I'd get a commission, which I greatly appreciate. And I appreciate the sponsorship that Otis, uh, you know, provides here, but you can get a hundred free dollars into your account. So there's no reason to, you know, not check it out. So thanks to Otis, and let's get back to the show. With some of the people that you've coached and worked with, are there any, I guess, tricks that you've used to get them to finish and do the work if they don't have the stubborn um, nature that you have? <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a kind of a mix. And so what's interesting is is being somebody who's who's a coach. I never thought I would be a coach for anything. Um you get to know people's personalities. You get to know um what they need. So when I ran cross country in high school um as a runner, our coach same person, but for every athlete on our team, he would be a different coach. And so for the the top girl on our team, I mean, she was the fastest runner in the state. Like she was so good. He would be like, what are you doing? That's not good enough. Like in her face. And I would, I was terrified. And then after everyone, he'd come up and be like, you did a really good job today. I was the last person on the team. He's like, "You, I saw you really trying and you did really good. And so what I realized, because I said something to him my final year, he was like, I'm a different coach to every single person on this team based on what I see that they need. He's like, when I see that Emily needs me to be in her face because she needs to get angry back at me to run faster, I'm going to get, I'm going to make sure she's angry with me and she wants to prove me wrong. He was like, I could tell you needed some assurances. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I realized in my own coaching that that's what I do, right? When I work with people who are like, I'm just so busy. I'm overwhelmed. I can't do it. I'm just like, take a week off the book. Do You've got too much else to figure out. This is something you're adding on as a line to your business, but you're the only one who knows aside from your team that this book is coming out. You haven't told anybody about it yet. Calm down come back to me next week. Other people, I know I need to push them to be like, you said this was going to be done last week and it's not done. And I, and that's just from getting to know them during our conversations. You know, the first conversation with somebody, I'm not going to, you know, give them attitude and be in their face. Um, but, you know, if I get to know them, we build a good rapport and I can tell they're, they've just been stalling to stall. I'm like, I'm going to call you on it. So it's, it's challenging um, to figure out what each person needs, but it's really building a relationship and, and figuring out how that back and forth is going to work to get them across that finish line. Do you see any parallels with the, um, like with the running and, or actually, let me ask a different question first. What distance, um, do you run these days? Are you, are you, uh, competing much or anything? So I mainly do halves. I would like to do a full marathon at some point. Um, the nice thing about being in central Florida is we are not that far from Disney. So I would like to do their marathon because they put on a great race. And I really want to do their full marathon weekend where you do the race every day. So you do a 5k, 10k, half, and then marathon for four days. Straight. Yeah. Um, 
but I'll, I'll focus on getting back into halves and then I'll, I'll step up to the marathon and then we'll okay. go from there. Cool. Yeah. I used to run halves. <laughs> I have like a Achilles issue these days and mm. I'm getting older and everything. So I'm like, yeah. oh, maybe I'll just hike more, yeah. but yeah, I love the, the half distance. It's not too yeah. much where it interferes with like your whole entire day or weekend, which, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the marathons are long. You have to train really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Marathon training is crazy. Um, but yeah, ha- halves are fun. Um, if you, if you do decide to run one again, vacation races does one at Yosemite. They actually do it, um, just outside Yosemite national park. It is all downhill. Uh-huh. It is the, you're going to run the fastest time on this half. It is amazing. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So the the question related to running mm-hmm. and endurance sports, I, I've bumped into several people that do uh, either marathons or ultra marathons, big runners mm-hmm. or endurance sport people that are entrepreneurs. Do you see any parallel and, and any thoughts on that? Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, you have to have stamina to be an entrepreneur because you every every day that there's something happens, right, that you didn't plan for. Like you can plan out your week and what's going to get done. And without a doubt, something comes up that you have to figure out. And you're like, well, this is either a fire that I have to put out or it's something that I'm just not going to focus on right now because it's not important or you have to make that decision. And when you're out there and you're running for 10, 13, 26 miles at a time, things come up. Nobody ever has a perfect race where nothing goes wrong. Um, and so if you look at entrepreneurship like that, like you're never going to have a perfect week or a perfect month or a perfect year or even a perfect day where nothing goes wrong. But ultimately, when you're an entrepreneur, there's no... There's no firefighters coming. You're the firefighter. You have to put out the fire. Um, you have to figure it out. And I think there is a certain mental toughness that comes from doing endurance sports that you need to be successful. Now, I know a lot of people who are successful entrepreneurs who don't do sports and don't care to do sports, but I think they have that same mental toughness um, and that kind of like, I need to make a decision now, or I need to put off this decision and just focus on the task at hand and not get distracted. And I think that those those skill sets serve entrepreneurs well transitioning over to i guess i guess like the coaching idea and you probably didn't know much about self-publishing in 2015 when you were just getting rolling and now you are teaching other people and advising companies to to release Mm -hmm. and publish self-publish their books. So Mm -hmm. can you talk about that transition when you thought, oh, I'm smart enough to do this. I'm qualified to advise other people. Um, I think my raging imposter syndrome would tell me I'm never qualified enough. Um, So yeah, 2015, I I knew I wanted to self-publish and I it, it was hard for me to find all the information at once. I did a lot of research. Um, I found there were a lot of blogs out there. There were a lot of things out there. I hadn't discovered podcasts yet. There were podcasts out there. I just hadn't found them. Um, and some of the things I found were very, they were not catered to me, right? They were not c- catered to like an aspiring female author who had these warm, flowery ideas of what authorship would be. They were like, hey, bro, you want to write a bestseller, bro? Come here. And I'm just like, mm. It might work for some people. It didn't work for me. Um, And so for me, I was like, well, I've already written my book and I'm not trying to write it. I'm not going to compromise what I want to write just to say, oh, I hit this bestseller ranking. I want to write the story I want to write. And if it does well, it does well. And so I continue to learn and and gather new things and kind of figure out, okay, well, if I'm not going this, I'm going to hack the system route. I'm going to go this route, which is the long, hard slog. And I'm used to that. It's fine. Um, 
And so people started to just ask me questions. You know, people may not really like, oh, you have a book out. I always thought of getting a book out. What about this? Um, and so I started to just put together these very detailed emails answering all their questions. Well, there went all the time I had allotted for that day or even that week to get my, my book done. So I was waste, I wasn't wasting time, but it was taking up an inordinate amount of my time. And so I thought, you know what? I'll just record like a three minute video. I'll throw it up on YouTube. And then when people ask me these same questions and it was really the same question over and over again, I'll just send them a link to the video. That way they feel like they're getting a personal answer from me. And I have put in the time once I don't have to put in the time again. Um, and so I had like 20 or so questions just planned out what I was going to do. Um, and so the channel just kept going every week. I just put out a new answer to a new question. Um, and it kind of grew from there. So people have found me through my YouTube channel to ask for help, um, which is amazing. I really never planned for it to be a thing and that it is. Um, and then when I did in initially connect with um, the first company that hired me, you know, I had been friends with these two guys, you know, they said, Oh, we're about to start a podcast. And I was like, Oh, good luck. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure I listen because there's so many podcasts out there. You definitely need support and, you know, all these things. And then like their fifth or 10th episode, they're like, we have 10,000 subscribers. I was like, I know people who are internet famous. That's the thing. So, um, you know, obviously I you know, went into meeting them just being like, hey, these are cool people. You know, we hung out, um, all those things. And so I didn't go obviously into that friendship thinking one day they're going to hire me to be a consultant. Um, it just kind of worked out so that when they said they were putting a book out, they're like, you you publish books. You know what to do, right? And I was like, I do. I, I definitely <laughs> do. I know what I'm doing. And yep. I can, yeah, I can help you. Yep. Um, and so it was kind of a, a trial by fire, you know, and I was very upfront with them. You know, they were putting on a nonfiction book. And at that point, I'd only done fiction. And I was like, it's a whole nother beast. And they're like, well, you figured this out. You'll figure this out. And so they were definitely very supportive. Um, and I, I learned a lot along the way. Um, and as I was helping them, they told other people I was helping them and they asked for help. And I thought, well, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing. Um, so I think every every time I've helped a client and I've seen them succeed, that's given me more confidence to say, yes, I can help you too. Um, but there's a lot that I still struggle with as far as, you know, charging what I'm worth and saying, hey, that's I need to set a boundary around that. Like I I want to be there to support you, but like after hours, weekends, like no, like I, I need family time. And there's I know a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that and I struggle with that too, um, to say um, feeling like, well, I, if I'm not a su super duper expert, if I don't have this many sales, if I don't have this many figures that I'm earning, then I need to discount my services and discount my time. And it's like, no, I, I'm going to charge what I'm worth. Right. Well, and you read my mind. So how did you develop the pricing and or packages for, for what you offer, especially at the beginning, because you, you didn't even really, I mean, you didn't have a plan on what you were going to charge or anything. Yeah, it was it was just kind of guessing. You know, I said, "Oh, well, I think it would take me this many hours and I think this is a fair rate for my time." Um and inevitably the first few projects took way way more time than I thought. Um but truly with every client I've worked with, I have I, I'm now tracking my time again. Um, I used to track it much more meticulously. And then I said, okay, I know what my time takes. I know what my rates are. Um, and then I realized there's so much scope creep that I'm getting. I'm like, nope, I need to, I need to track my time again. Um, so really looking at that. And so after working with maybe like a half a dozen clients, I was like, okay, everybody's kind of coming to me wanting the same thing. Um, and there's a few people who just want a, a truncated version of that. So I think that that's two packages, right? This is the, the full idea to bookshelf package. And then we have just the, the book is done. What do I do now package? Um, 
And so tr- trying to figure that out and put marketing terms around it. But I've, I've never had to actually go out and like market my packages. Like people have come to me and then I've said, well, here's what I can do and kind of explaining it that way. Um, and kind of the more passive sales pitch of like, if you want to work with me, cool. If not, like, I'm not going to harangue you to work with me. Like writing a book is tough. Um, and I guess that analogy with running, like running coaches aren't going to come after you. Like you d- want to do that marathon, right? They're going to be like, I don't want to work with you if you don't want to run a marathon. Like, I don't want to work with you if you don't really want to write a book. You're going to waste my time. You're going to waste your time. I don't dog people. I know for certain sales tactics, you know, you're supposed to follow up and follow up and follow up. If I've talked with you, um, if, if I even get the feeling that somebody's not 100% committed to getting the book done, I'll be like, come talk to me when when you are ready. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to harangue somebody and do like a 30-day follow-up and a 45-day follow-up and all that stuff. If they're not, if they're not into it, they'll, they'll come back when they're ready. So, right. Have you had to raise your rates? So that's one thing I ran into where when I first got started, kind of like you said, imposter syndrome, you you really didn't know what to charge. You have to get some market data. And then, you know, ra- raising rates was really helpful for me. So what what has that been like? Yes, that has been something I have done. And thankfully, um, you know, my husband, he works a full time job. um, But I always joke that he's my CFO and my like business consigliere. And so he's the one who's really pushed me every time that I, I've said like, okay, like I'm doing so much time doing this. I'm not able to work on my books. And he's like, raise your rates. He's like, your time's more valuable. And unless they're willing to pay that rate, like, nope. And so I was so afraid that I would do that. And there would be an uproar, like, how dare she? How, who does she think she is? And I'm not going to pay that. And And I have not had one person come back to me with that. I've had some people say, I just don't have the budget right now. Um, And actually that, that first message came through just a few weeks ago that I was expecting this whole time that, you know, the first time somebody said that and I said, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I, people do, who do pay me for their time, like that's not really fair to them because then I'm giving you my time for free and I, I need to be helping them. Um, and so that was tough to say, but I did it. Um, and so, yeah, raising my rates has usually been um, something tough to do, but I've actually found I've gotten more business from it before I used to do like free hour long consults just to answer people's questions um, and people would show up late. Uh, they'd be like, oh, but you can stay on for the full hour, right? And I'm like, no, like I, I, be, I was sitting here for 30 minutes waiting for you. Um, and I found that I actually get more business, more people sign up for those now that they're not free than they did before. And I think it was realizing, you know, when you just have people can talk to you for free, they're kind of like, eh, okay, maybe. Um, but you get the more serious people um, when they're they're willing to pay for that time. And they're, I enjoy that more because then I'm giving them actionable things to do. And then they follow up with me and they're like, my book's out. This is awesome. Um, so that's that's been helpful. Um, yeah, it's always a challenge when you decide that time comes. And I was offering formatting services for a while where I would format somebody's book for print. Um, and I realized that the time that it took me to do it, if I was to base it off of my other hourly rate, it would be exorbitant. It would be a, a huge cost. Um, and I was like, I you should go somewhere else. Like you should go to some, like I just stopped offering it. And now I have an affiliate relationship with a company that offers a great service at a great price. And I'm just like, go to them, but use my link. Like right. You know, I I just cut off lines of my business where I couldn't justify the price um, that it would be for my time. So that that's helped as well, um, just to kind of really focus in on a few key things. And how many YouTube videos do you have, by the way? Um, I think like over, it's definitely over 200. Um, I've, been, I've been doing it just now for three years. I just passed my three year mark. Okay. 200 some videos. Yeah. Any specific challenges as a YouTuber or observations after, you know, a few hundred video videos there? Um, so I think the same thing with books, right? Like when I when when you start to put things out, 
it's not just going to happen that it's magically going to make you money. And I think that's kind of the illusion I had going into publishing my books of, oh, somebody will just discover it and it'll take off and it'll make me money. No, it doesn't happen like that. And the same thing with YouTube. Um, You know, you can't just put videos out there and expect to suddenly be monetized. Like you have to really understand the algorithm. And I I found that kind of cringy of like, well, I'm not just going to hack, hack it and like put up videos of things I don't care about just because that's what people are searching for. And what I realized is that like I had the information people were looking for, they just couldn't find it because I wasn't using the tags properly. I wasn't using titles properly. I wasn't, I wasn't doing the things I needed to do to get the valuable information I had out to people. And when I kind of reframed my mind like that, I was like, oh, oh, I could do that. So it was about May of last year, May 2020, that I really said, all right, my I was pregnant and I was like, so if I'm gonna keep doing YouTube, it has to pay for itself. It has to at least pay for covered my time that I put into making these videos and putting them out there. And so I got really serious about getting monetized. I had about 250 subscribers after almost two years. I was nowhere near what I needed to be for monetization. And I just went back to my most popular videos and I updated the tags and I updated (laughs) the titles. And you know what? People started finding them. Um, And it was kind of this simple thing when I just got unstubborn about, you know, oh, but it's so great. I shouldn't have to do all that. No, you should, because people can't find your stuff if it's not tagged properly. Um, So it was really just a matter of learning the system um, that helped and kind of getting over that. Well, I don't know it. Okay, but you can learn it. So yeah, that's what I would say to anybody starting out is take the time to really learn it. There's some really great channels that that teach people how to do that. Um, So Nick Nimmin and Catherine Manning were really helpful for me um, just to really understand it. And now I, I make enough that you know, it's a little bit here and there. I might start to actually outsource my video editing pretty soon. That's exciting. (laughs) Um, So yeah. Awesome. Very good. Well, I think we're starting to wrap down and I guess I'll let you give a little pitch for your YouTube channel and maybe some of the services that you offer. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're watching this and you think I've always had it in me to write a book, I just do not know where to start or what to do, or I've written the book, but I don't know how to get it out to people. Like, how does it even get on Amazon? What's an ISBN? How, how much do I charge? I answer each of those questions on my channel. And even though the algorithm would love it, if I made them long and fluffy, they are short and sweet and to the point. So head over to Author Your Ambition or just search MK Williams in YouTube and you'll find my channel. I look like me. <laughs> on there. Um, and I have a whole series of books under the Author Your Ambition brand that walks people through the entire process of writing that first novel, self-publishing, book marketing. Um, I do offer one-on-one consults where you can talk with me and we can come up with a plan for you over that time. So check out my website, check out my YouTube channel. I'll be happy to help you get your book out to the world. Awesome. And we'll put links for all that stuff. Just curious, what's coming uh, later this year for you? Any Any exciting news? Yeah, so I'm going to have the second book in my time travel series coming out. So that'll be fun. Um, That'll be as the sequel to The Infinite Infinite came out in 2019. This will be the sequel to that, The Alpha Nina. So it's coming out. And then I'm doing another book, um, at least one more book in my Author Your Ambition series. So within self-publishing, there's a lot of people who just say, I want my book on Amazon, just Amazon, Amazon only. Um, And then there's people who publish wide because they want to be in Barnes & Noble or the library or Walmart or Target or anywhere that books are sold. And so um, there's a lot more talk now about this wide publishing strategy. So I've written a book called Going Wide, which helps people who are currently on an Amazon only plan get their book out everywhere else. Um, so that way they can navigate that because it, it is more work to do, but it also means more money. 
So more money, more problems, but I, I help people kind of bridge that gap. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, MK. Really appreciate it. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks a lot to MK. It was fun hanging out and chatting with her. And for the people that want to hear more from MK and a little bit more about her financial independence journey on my other podcast, Mile High Fi, Carl Jensen and I interviewed MK. It was actually a little bit of a, it was a long day for me. So we interviewed MK first for the Mile High Fi show, focusing on really different topics in general, more financial independence and personal finance focused. And then we took a few minute break and then MK and I recorded this interview that you just listened to. So if you want to hear more from her, she's super knowledgeable and she's done a pretty amazing job establishing herself both in the FI community and just being a helpful individual and then essentially using those relationships to do more in the publishing and self-publishing space. And I don't mean to say like use the relationships in a negative way. Everyone wins, right? So she was able to help the Choose Fi, the Choose Fi company publish books and help by providing her expertise and things that she had done before. She was able to help them, you know, avoid the mistakes that she's made before. And then, you know, she was able to, I guess, have sort of an audience built in. Other people that wanted to publish their own books, they knew that the the Choose FI guys were getting some help from MK. So it really worked out well for everyone. And I think, like I said, she's a great example of networking, helping out, like being part of a community, and then being able to sort of launch your own side hustle and then grow that side hustle into a full-time situation. And you can make that whatever you want. If someone wants to be super busy, they can be super busy. If they want to dial it back, they can do that as well. So anyway, if you want to hear more from MK, check out her links. It's in the show notes, so you can find her YouTube channel and her website if you are interested in that sort of thing. And you could also listen to the other interview over the Mile High Fi. And hey, I mean, you should listen to that show anyway. Carl and I have a really fun time. Some of them are filled with tangents, random stuff. I mean, it's, it's really just like Carl and I hanging out. And sometimes it gets pretty silly. We get a little giggly couple girls or something like that, but not that there's anything wrong with that. Giggling is fine. We have a fun time and we got to reel it back in occasionally and it's very minimal editing. So it really is like just hanging out with us if you're having some beers and chilling down in the studio. That's all for today. Catch you on the next episode. 